Revelation chapter 5, briefly, I want to minister to you about Jesus, the invincible God. Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 4, but 5 will be our text. Revelation 5, verses 4 and 5, and I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now let me go back to verse 1 and read all the way down again. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open a book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look Thereon, and one of the elders saith unto me, Don't cry. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Jesus, the invincible God. <clears throat> if I say Jesus is invincible, I'm saying that he is incapable of being conquered. By that, I'm not saying that he has never been defeated, but that for him, defeat is not a possibility. It's not even a part of his vocabulary. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God which causeth us to triumph in all things. Now that word triumph in ancient Rome, it was a procession celebrating the return of a victorious general and his army. So whenever someone went out to the battlefields and those folks came back, when you saw people lying in the streets and everybody screaming and shouting, that was called a triumph. The scripture says it's God that causes us to triumph in all things. That means you don't have a problem right now you're facing. That God hasn't given you a reason to already celebrate the victory that's been given to you by what Jesus did at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Scripture says he spoiled the powers and principalities. Few books in the Bible illustrate this truth like that of the book of Revelation because this book unfolds the majestic plan of God in a way that highlights Jesus' omnipotence, meaning that he has all power over all creation. In every chapter of the book of Revelation, you can find where Jesus appears gloriously. From chapter 1 all the way to the end of the book where John is saying, Even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. There are all kinds of names and titles. He's king of kings. He's the son of David. You saw it, of the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one with the key of David, the alpha and the omega. All of that is in the book of Revelation. The scripture says he attends to the candlesticks in chapters 2 and 3. The candlesticks represent the churches and his role is to ensure that everything that represents him is not misnamed nor is it misrepresenting him we know from chapter 8 and chapter 9 that there will be some trumpets that will be blown 
And when those trumpets are blown, the fraction you need to remember is one-third. One-third of the earth will be affected. One-third of the vegetation will be destroyed. One-third of the seas will be affected. One-third of the ships in the seas are going to be destroyed. Since Jesus sees the end from the beginning, he directs all of our steps without any kind of puppetry. He uses your will and my will. Let's suppose a six-year-old child were to say, if God knows that everything is going to happen and knows, that everything, knows when everything will occur, then what's the point of living? He's manipulating everything. But that's not true. A parent can know the plan of the day for each one of their children. They can know that they're going to go to school, be dropped off at school at a certain hour. Know that they're going to be with a teacher this period. And know that that child at a certain hour is going to be at a recess. And at the same time, know that that child's going to take a break and have food and know what he's going to eat or she's going to eat. But at no time does the parent control every individual step of the child, even though the parent knows the plan of the day. God himself knows your routine. He knows what it is that he's predestined for us to do. He fixed our ending in the beginning, but he has not made us robots. You have your own will, and he can see how you're traveling the path that he's established for you. So the omnipotence of God does not come into conflict with the free will or the free moral agency that he's given to you. You are responsible for the choices that you make. Well, the scripture is plain here. Chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, John learns that Jesus appears as a priest. Now, what does John learn from this vision? He learns, number one, that even though he's on the island of Patmos, separated from his loved ones because he's being persecuted. He recognizes that God is able to reach him. No matter how far away you may believe you are from the Lord or how difficult your circumstances, your address is never lost to God. Chapters 2 and 3, the Lord himself has to deal with the church activities. That tells you that God is interested in the churches. That's his primary concern. He says, John, take the time to write a letter to the church at Ephesus. Tell them they've left their first love. They once had a zeal and a passion. They were born again. They were excited about doing things for me. But somehow or another, that fervor has now waned. He says, write a letter to them and tell them that They've left their first love. I haven't left them, but they departed from me. One by one, the letters had to be written as God gave the information to John. John learned in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation that worship is a priority. It's not just something we talk about. It's not something written on a program in a church service. It's something that we do when we gather on a Sunday. It's something that we all should engage in. It's not something that I it just encourage you to do, but it's something we're to enter in. We're to lift our hands and worship God, to extend praise and adoration to the Lord. Because around the throne of God, there are creatures that say, holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. And the elders that cast their crowns at the feet of God shows us that whatever we have, we have because we have from God and we should be willing to lay it all at his feet. It doesn't mean anything anyhow. We give it back to him because he's given it to us. John also learned that from chapter 6 onwards, there are judgments and plagues that will be dispensed by a merciful God. 
Now that's a scary thought to many people. That the God that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son is also the God that holds the book with the seals that are going to have all kinds of plagues and judgments that are going to be unleashed on this world that he loves. But it shows us that even though God is a God of grace, his grace only goes so far. I've told people before that God's love is no less intense for us than his wrath can be when it is revealed. That God has many different attributes. He's holy. He's just. He's faithful. He's a jealous God. He's the kind of a God that does not hold one particular characteristic in a greater measure than he holds the other characteristic. The same God that wants you to do right on Monday doesn't want somebody else to do wrong on Tuesday. And that love for us is intense. This is why when the book of Revelation expounds the opening of the seals. This is why there are so many people that find it frightful. And the scripture says in that final day, there'll be people chasing after death, but death will be running from them. They'll want to die, but they'll be unable to die. Well, verse 5 gives us the image of a lion. That animal is considered to be the strongest, the king of the beasts. The reason we call the lion the king of the beast is because this is an image that comes from ancient fable and folklore. Now, in ancient times, people, when they made contact with a very strong animal, the only thing they could do was pass on through stories the kind of experiences that they had. Remember, there were no ancient zoologists as we think of them today. There were no zoos in ancient times. You know, you hear people today talking about we're getting ready to lose the last particular bird or the, the last animal. But I mean, every major city on, in America has a zoo that has the animal they say is about to be extinct. You see? But in ancient times, unlike the zoologists today, these people typically spoke the truth about what an animal characteristics was like a lion is considered to be fierce because that's exactly what a lion was now, you don't hear that today somebody will go out and go surfing off of the coast of california and a shark will take a bite out of the board and somebody will fall into the water and then the people that get all across the television suddenly begin to tell you now look i know the shark he went after the board, but I mean, the shark, they really don't bother people too much. And you are invading their space. You know, they go through all of that. And they say, well, the poor little shark, he didn't know what he was biting at anyhow. Here's a creature with a territory of several hundred miles, able to smell blood in the water several miles away. And you want me to believe that he doesn't know the difference between me and a seal pup. I don't buy it. The zoologists, they rarely tell the truth because they don't want to incite fear. They don't want to have the monies cut off from their particular projects. But when we think about the ancient times and we think about the Bible, these things had nothing to do with trying to create some kind of a fervor or some kind of a fear. People simply spoke what they believed to be the truth. The imagery implies the existence of competitors. If I say a lion is king of the beasts, that means there has to be other kinds of 
animals out there in that ferocious world where animal instincts do rule. It is a vicious world, folks. There's no doubt about that. But let's never forget that it's God that created these instincts. And we can learn from the animal kingdom and the insect kingdom as God has placed it in the Bible. So in Proverbs 6, verse 6, God says to lazy people, you ought to study the ant who works hard in the summer and gathers his food in at harvest time. Even Jesus says in Matthew 6, behold the fowls of the air. Behold the, behold the birds. He says they don't sow, neither do they reap. But your father prepares food for them. He says, aren't you much more valuable than birds? I mean, to put that in our language, he said, you, you have never in your life seen a vulture or a blackbird riding in a planter. So he's saying, you've never in your life seen a robin driving a combine at harvest time. But yet your heavenly father looks out after them. So in, in its kingdom, the lion roams wherever it desires, being afraid of nothing. Psalm 104, verse 24 says, The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. That's the scripture. Seek their meat from God. In an even greater way, the prevailing lion of Judah feared no man or territory or disease. Jesus spoke back to Herod, calling him a fox, and he transfer, transformed Capernaum from a place of darkness into a place of light. That's the Lion of Judah. Jesus moved out of Nazareth, went into the area of Capernaum, and he resisted the adversary, and he went on and ventured to Calvary without hesitation, voluntarily giving himself as a sacrifice for sin. There are people that are afraid of lions, and, and, and I, I can tell you I'd be one of those. Where I'm going here in a, in a few days... I told you about me, that meeting I had with that man that was a lawyer for the Messiah tribe. And, and I was asking him, I said, is it really true that, that these little teenage Maasai warriors have to go out and kill one of these lions? You know, and he was telling me it is true because, I mean, these, these young people go out there and if they get mauled by a lion... I mean, all they do is take some dirt and some sheep's fat and they just stick it in that wound and cover up all that blood and they just go on just like life is, 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 is pretty simple. But he told me, he said, I've got a story that's even better than that. He said, one night when I was newly married, had a few little kids that had come along and he said that in the middle of the night we heard lion out there roaming about our little grass hut there on Maasai territory, and he said, my wife was begging me not to go out there. But I said to my wife, I have to go out there, because what's the alternative? This little grass hut, he's coming in here. And uh, what, what am I going to do? Just stand by, let him devour you and the kids. I've got to go out there. So he said he went out there in that pitch black darkness, had nothing but an axe in his hand. He only stood about maybe five foot six or seven. He said the shoulders of that lion were taller than he was. He said that lion approached him and he says when that lion came up close he said he took that axe and he just dropped it on that lion's head. He said that lion uh, hit the ground and then he said he brought that thing down on that lion's jaw. Then he said he got his kids to come right on out there and they then took that lion's head in the mane and all mane and all that stuff and put it on some kind of a pole. And, and when he told me that story, I wasn't even eating anymore. I was just looking at him 
Like, what kind of a man is this? I mean, I, I have problems with dogs. This man's out here fighting lions in the middle of the night. Jesus was the lion of Judah, and he was not afraid of the adversary. Sometimes God gives you boldness, and you wonder where that courage comes from. I told a preacher one time, I was holding a revival for the Pentecostal Church of God, and I had had a dream before that meeting, or sometime during that meeting, and I told the pastor, I said, look, I, I saw last night this, 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 somebody in this church, a woman in this church, I said, I, I don't usually have dreams like this, but I said, there, there's somebody in this church controlling this church. It's a woman. And I said, it's like a, like a Jezebel kind of a thing. He didn't say much to me. I just, I just said, look, I'm just telling you, God showed me he's going to expose it and reveal her during this meeting. So that night I preached. Preached, and I uh, can't remember what I preached on. Might have been on healing or something, because I know we were praying for the sick. After the service, a lady rolled a man back there in that study where I was at with the pastor and other elders, and that lady was mad. And she, she, she jumped on me. She said, what, what kind of a preacher are you? You're talking about laying hands on the sick, and God will heal, and God will do this. And yet, here, here he's still in his wheelchair, and he didn't get out of the wheelchair. I mean, he, she's going on and on and on and on. Well, you know, I preach salvation too, but everybody doesn't always get saved in the meetings where I preach salvation. I said, I, I preach y'all to repent of your sins and, and love people. I said, people don't always walk in love. So I said, I can't stop preaching on that. And she went on, and then I realized, I turned to that pastor, and I let that pastor know this is the one. Here's where the trouble is. Here's where the trouble is. Here, here's a woman that's going through all of this, so I just had to, in a very tactful way, ask her, do you believe in divine healing? Yes, I do. Do you, do you believe that Jesus will heal any kind of disease? Yes, I do. Then how come you don't heal the man then? See? Why are you going to put it all on the preacher? You, you believe the same thing I believe, then join your faith with what I believe and believe God for something supernatural. Well, the Christ of Revelation persevered amid this jungle of mankind, and he defeated the devil at Calvary. The scripture says he spoiled the powers and principalities. Now, Revelation 6 Verse 16 and 17, listen to this. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Notice it talks of the great day of the wrath of the Lamb. Proverbs 19, 12 says, the king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, meaning that Jesus is going to roar through his judgments. That's what's going to happen. And that day, he's going to roar through his judgments. I'm certain that out there on those Serengeti plains, that whenever a lion begins to roar, that sound is so familiar that animals stop in their tracks when they hear that. I don't think there's any any kind of a creature that's the prey of a lion that hears that roar and just continues to graze and just say, oh, that doesn't mean nothing at all. You just ignore that. No, they, they, they pay attention to that. Who will be able to stop him is the question. Now, woe to the prey to be devoured. A lion will roar in order to establish presence in their territory and to warn all challengers. You say, well, has God roared through judgments in ancient times? Of course he has. Remember the plagues that he brought on the Egyptians? God sent Moses to the folks and said, 
you know, to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is your God that I should obey him? Oh, Moses said, if you're not going to listen to him, I've got a few tricks up my sleeve. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be pretty around here if you don't listen. Then he threw that stick down. And the stick became a snake. Oh, that Pharaoh looked at that. He said, oh, I don't have to worry about that. We, I got a rabbit's foot, too. We got some people that can do this, something like that. So he called his witches and magicians, and they came, and they threw their, snakes, their sticks down there, and their sticks became snakes, too. That's what the scripture said. Well, lo and behold, as they're watching all of these ugly little slimy, slithering critters, and uh, suddenly the one that was Moses attacked the ones that were Pharaoh's and devoured them. I don't know if you've ever seen that on a documentary before. That's not a pretty sight to see one snake devour another snake. But the point of that was to demonstrate that God has truth that will swallow up the truth of the adversary. No doubt about that. Pharaoh said, I don't care. I'm still not letting the people go. Moses said, we'll talk in a few days. God brought that first plague and the river turned to blood. Oh, my. I mean, everything. The smell of blood. The, the stench of it. Can you imagine that? All of the river turning to blood. And, I mean, it just soaking into the soil. You would have thought Pharaoh said, get rid of these people now, he got harder and harder in his stubbornness. He said, absolutely not. I'm not thinking about it at all. He said, it can't leave. Well, you know, Moses said, we've got, we've got more. You know. So pretty soon, they had to deal with the, the flies, the hail, the boils, the darkness. The plague of the frogs would have did me in. Just everywhere. Can you imagine? Every step you take frog here and there. And even when, when Pharaoh was, was asked, when do you want the frogs to disappear? Because he was acquiescing now. He told Moses, he said, tomorrow. I would have said yesterday. He said, tomorrow. Just the smell of dying frogs and everything. But he still wouldn't submit to the will of God until finally God said to Moses, there's something bad about to happen. You tell the children of Israel to borrow of their neighbors to get the lamb. and They're going to sacrifice it, take the blood, put it all across the doorposts of their house. And once they enter into that house, you tell them, don't come out of that house. It's going to be trouble outside of the land of Goshen. And sure enough, the firstborn child throughout Egypt you imagine folks out on night watch died hunters died people who were in bed in the middle of the night wake up and realize you've got a corpse laying next to you the scripture says the cry was so great that Pharaoh, oh my, I'm sure that the cries were piercing his ears. He said, get these people out of here. And one by one, the Jewish people started marching out into the desert, headed towards the Red Sea. And it's because God roared through his judgment. The scripture says in Proverbs 19, the king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion. Okay, well, there's one challenger to Christ in the book of Revelation. That's the Antichrist. There will be opposition to him at all times. Chapter 7 says there will be 144,000 saints. These individuals will be virgins 
and they will love the Lord, have a seal on them, mark them out. Scripture also says in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, the prayers of the saints will continually be going up. The psalmist said, let my prayer be set forth before you, Lord, as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. There'll still be intercession. Scripture says in Revelation chapter 11, there'll be two witnesses that will have power to call down fire. They're going to minister for a portion of time during the great tribulation period. These witnesses will be battling the Antichrist and his false prophet, but eventually they'll be overcome three and a half days before the end of the tribulation period. And the Bible says that when they die, <clears throat> their bodies will lay in the streets. People will be giving gifts to one another like it's Christmas. Everybody will be clapping and cheering. And then suddenly the Lord speaks and causes life to come back into these two dead bodies. I guarantee you it'll be all across the television. The Bible says a voice will speak that says come up here. And in the sight of everybody, the two witnesses will rise from the dead and go straight on up into heaven. Opposition to the Antichrist will be real. Revelation 14 says there will be angels preaching the everlasting gospel. Can you imagine that? Once the church disappears with the rapture and the, and the Antichrist is revealed, you've got seven years of tribulation. That's when the seals are being opened one by one. And you've got angels that are traveling throughout the heavens telling people on planet Earth, do not take the mark of the beast. You take the mark of the beast, you seal your fate and your doom in the lake of fire. There'll still be people that'll be lining up, listening to what the Antichrist is saying as he's promising peace. Nations will rise up against the Antichrist, chapter 17. But at the end of that tribulation period, the Bible says in chapter 19, the return of the Lord comes. He comes back on a white horse. Thousands, thousands, thousands of people with him. And with the sword of his mouth, he destroys the Antichrist. Scripture says, takes the devil, places him in the pit for a thousand years and the millennium begins. One thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. David will reign with him as it says in Ezekiel. That'll be the time where the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Power of God will be so great, there'll be something in the nature of that, that, that lion that'll be restrained from attacking that lamb. He says, I know I ought to be devouring him right now, but I'm chewing on this straw. I don't know what all this is about. Scripture talks about children at, at that time being able to take snakes up in their hands without any problems at all. Think about that. The millennium will be a time of peace. It'll be a time of the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ on this planet. So these are the reasons I declare Jesus to be invincible. Who in the world can oppose him? These things are going to happen, folks, and there's nobody that can stop it. One day the trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. We which are alive and remain will be caught up to be with him. Such is his power today. And one day, folks, one day, the church it's not going to be under, the, under attack like it is right now. See, it's ugly now. People being beheaded. Christians 
fellow brethren that love the name of the Lord that we love so much ourselves, burned alive, incarcerated because of the name of Jesus. If you think it's bad now, you wait till the church is gone. I mean, that fifth seal that's open. John said, I saw under the altar the souls of those who lost their lives. If you think ISIS is bad, you wait till this world produces that antichrist when the church is gone. It's going to be a wicked time. But I'm telling you, when it's all over, he's still going to win. He's going to roar through his judgment, and hearts are going to fail people for fear. Yeah. With us, we're safe with God. Amen. We're safe with God. Let's stand tonight. Safe with God. Isn't it good to serve somebody who has all this power? You can sleep good at night when you know none of these things are designated for you. You know, I, I've, I've had people when they've heard me minister on prophecy, they say, how in the world can you minister on it and, and, and be so happy about this? I mean, everything's going to fall apart. I say, it's not going to fall apart for me. It's going to fall apart for you. Yeah. Brother Clendenin one time was in a, a bank, and a, a, a preacher, not a preacher, but the banker, the president, ran over to him in that bank. He said, he said, I, he said I see you come through the door, you're whistling, you look happy and everything like that. He said, I heard you on that television early this morning. And he said, you, you were preaching about the world falling apart and all of these seals and trumpets and plagues being poured out in the earth. He said, how, how in the world can you be so happy when this world's going to fall apart like that? And Brother Clinton looked at the banker and said, sir, I was preaching about your world, not mine. My world's not going to fall apart. There won't be any bombs that land in that place where I'm going. But if you're still here and we leave, it's going to be trouble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can look into the word of God and see the truth of scripture. We are in the last days, God. Help us to live like it. Help us to believe it. Father, we don't want to be the kind of people that are like those foolish virgins that didn't have their lamps filled with oil and didn't have any oil set aside. But God, with everything we have going on in our lives, we pray that you'd help us to live close to you. Because God, even though we're all in here for the most part young people tonight, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. But Lord, if we were to lay our head on that bed tonight, let our hearts be right with you were you to call us home. But we worship you and praise you because you are deliverer. You are a safe haven. You are a high tower. You are a strong refuge. We have no reason to fear because we love you and perfect love casts out all fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but one of faith. And we thank you, God. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.